two, go. Hey, it's good to see you. We survived Snowmageddon, right? It was rather weird last week because there were not only not you, but there were no chairs. So it was David and Susan Weed and Das. Das did not get the email. There was no church. So we had three of them. And so I was speaking to a whole three people. It was awesome. So it's good to have you. Wasn't worship good this morning? I was really excited about that. That was fun. If you're online and joining us, welcome. We're glad to have you. And uh, we're going to start this morning. Uh, we're actually closing out our study on the book of Philippians. Hasn't that been a great study? Yeah, it is. Best. Lord has really spoken. And uh, we're going to do a brief review. So what I'd like you to do is take your Bibles or your phone, whatever you're doing, and look at the chapters as I go through them. I'm going to highlight just the high points. But God has spoken uh, over these last several months that we've done Philippians. See if you can pick up where the Holy Spirit talked to you uh, in the book. All right, so we're going to start with chapter 1. Paul is incredibly grateful to and for the Philippian church. Uh, they had supported him from the very beginning. The gospel was furthering and multiplying because of their efforts. And Paul rejoiced because of their prayers and his soon expected release from prison. Uh, continuing chapter 1, for Paul to live as Christ, to die as gain. That's that very famous phrase right there. He wanted to depart and be with Christ, but knew it would be more important to stay for their sakes. Our manner of life is to be worthy of the gospel. That's uh, core teaching in the New Testament. We are to strive for the gospel. It has been granted us not only to believe in him, but to also what? Suffer for his sake. Uh, we are chapter 2. We are to follow Christ's example of humility. Right, That's that amazing passage there of what Jesus gave up. Although he was God, he did not count equality with God, something to be grasped. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. We will wait and watch for that day when that actually happens, right? We are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, knowing that it is an all-holy God that we do that with. We are to do all things without grumbling or complaining. How'd you do last week? Never mind. Keep going. All right? Uh, we are to stand out as lights in the world. All right? Even if we're poured out as a drink offering, we are to rejoice. Timothy, we ran into some characters in this chapter. Timothy, Paul said there's none like him, that he totally sought after the interest of Christ Jesus. Epaphroditus uh, nearly dies for the work of Christ and is uh, known as the sacrificial servant of Christ. Chapter 3, rejoice in the Lord. And again I say, rejoice. Watch out for those who twist the gospel. Do we live in a day like that or what? Yeah, really sad. Don't put your confidence in the flesh. In other words, the earthly accomplishments, merits, or accolades. Have a salvation that comes from the righteousness of Christ and comes by faith. Don't think you're religious. Don't do that. It's what Jesus has done, the grace he's done. He died on the cross for us. Have that by faith. Count everything as lost compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. Continuing in three, have a righteousness that comes from God and not from man, that we may know him, this is powerful, and the power of his resurrection, and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. And Paul says not that he had already obtained this, but he was pressing on towards the goal 
for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Jesus is the prize. Remember we said Jesus is his own reward. That when you get Jesus, you've got the best. Follow his example and stay away from those who walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Our citizenship is in heaven. Our bodies will be transformed like his when he returns. And then, of course, James got to grab chapter 4, right? And stand firm, get along, right? Remember that message? Rejoice in the Lord always. Let your reasonableness or your gentleness be known to all. Don't be anxious about anything. You could spend about five years on that one. Pray about everything that follows that one. Let God's peace guard you. Think about higher praiseworthy things. And practice, Paul says, the things that you have seen in me and others who set the example for you. And then chapter 4 continues, Thanks for reviving your concern for me, Paul says to the Philippians. I've learned to be content in all situations, and I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That does not mean we're supermen and we can blast through walls. That means if things are really good, I can do that through him, and if things are really bad, I can do that through him. I can go through any or all of those situations because of what he's done for me. This morning's message is, is going to be tied to all this now and is a continuation of last week's verses. So we'll, let's start with those. We'll start with those and then we can move into our verses this morning. Last week's message was on contentment. And by the way, when I, when I gave that message, right, it's an empty auditorium. And so I went, well, kind of mailed that one in. I guess that's the way that went. And I got more calls, I got more emails, I got people walked in my office and said, you just got to know, that blew me up, right? It was incredible, so the Lord really used it. I was kind of stunned and surprised and, and just really grateful to the Lord that he did. But let's go over those verses again. We're in chapter 4, verses 10 through 13. Paul says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but... You had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. All of this uh, commentary came off of a gift that had been delivered by Epaphroditus from the Philippian church. And last week we detailed how Paul had learned to be content. I was really encouraged by that. I don't know about you, but if the apostle Paul had to learn it, that's encouraging that at least I could learn it too. That, that, was, that was good. You can go to our website if you missed last week or if you're online just catching up. Uh, you can go to the website and, and get the uh, full thought off of those verses. But it must be underlined that Paul really appreciated the Philippian church. I think we've gotten that as we've gone through the study. Uh, they came from the hearts and hands of the Philippian church, and, and he was really grateful for them. They meant a lot to him, and he was going out of his way to say thank you. So let's pray this morning, and then we'll start, all right? Father, we seek you this morning. Thank you. Personally, for me, last week, uh, speaking to an empty auditorium, and your spirit was able to use that message in such a significant way with so many of my friends who came and let me know. Lord, and you know we struggle with contentment. You know that's hard. And we seek you as we extend the message this week. It's going to talk about your ability to supply. 
And Lord, we live in some crazy times right now, and uh, there's a lot of questions about supply and food stores and ability and those kind of things, and questions we've never even had to ask as a culture are starting to pop up. So this is a great time to be anchored in this. Lord, again, we give this over to your Holy Spirit. We ask you to be among us, to have freedom, to have conversations with us as we go through the message, and we ask for this in your name. Amen. All right. Okay, well, let's start. Here we go. We're going to wrap up this morning. We're starting in chapter 4, verse 14, and it says this. Yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. Uh, this is one of the most heartfelt statements in the whole New Testament. Paul, uh, Paul had gone through a lot of trauma. We've, we've looked at that, uh, and, and it was beginning to take its toll. You ever got punched a couple times and thought, okay, I'm, I'm doing okay, and then another punch, and then, okay, I'm not doing so well, punched, okay, I'm down, I'm, <laughs> am I going to get back up? That's kind of where Paul was at. And the version that he's using for this word trouble, if you look up the, the different meanings for it, it kind of uh, can stand for afflictions and tribulations, but another meaning stands for being flayed alive, of which Paul certainly would have understood, right? Being whipped and beaten with rods as many times as he had been. He could relate to that. And I think we can relate to his appreciation as well. You know, when someone's in trouble, you or somebody else, if someone's in trouble, and another person uh, or group goes out of their way to step in and help, the person being helped is overwhelmed with gratefulness. Often, we don't know what to say, right? We want to say something really profound and clever, and we just, we, we, the words fail. We just go, I don't know what to say. Thank you so much. That's kind of what you're getting here from Paul. Okay? He's expressing, look at uh, verse 15. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. In other words, they, they were a hallmark church. They were a beginning church, an anchor church. Uh, Macedonia is what you'd call modern-day Greece, and that's where Philippi was. And Paul reminds them that when he left Macedonia, they were the only church to help him in regards to support during that time period. Now, certainly, other churches came online after that, right, and, and helped. But in the beginning, there was one church, one church who bought the ministry, one church who bought the vision, one church who really bought into Paul, and that was the Philippian church. The Philippians uh, were there from the beginning for him. And, and you can hear the appreciation of Paul's words. Look at verses 16 and 17. Even in Thessalonica, you sent help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Paul here is complimenting them and letting them know that their reward is not with him, but with the Lord. The Expositor's Bible commentary points out that he's using an accounting term here when he uses the term credit, all right? So think accounting, think books, think ledgers. That's what that word means. Uh, their acts of kindness are being accredited to them, much as an accountant would keep track of books, right? There's another ledger marker, and you, you keep that going down. Uh, Paul says that their gifts to him are bearing eternal fruit that was going into that account. I have a name for this account, right? 
I call it the Jesus account. And I've mentioned this before, but it's worth mentioning again. Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount, But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. Paul would have agreed with this. Okay, What do I mean by the Jesus account? Well, let me illustrate. There are a ton of people here at Northview uh, who do all kinds of things behind the scenes and nobody sees them doing it. Uh, nobody uh, knows they're even here when they're doing it, right? And often I'm here and I'll see them. I come walking through a hall or something and I'll see people doing stuff and I'll tell them that uh, that's really good because it goes into the Jesus account. And they kind of give me a quizzical look and, and I say, um, it's the Jesus account, right? God tracks acts of service for him, even if nobody else sees it. And I add, that's a really good account to have, right? And often they'll laugh or they'll smile and they'll say, thank you. You know, Paul felt the same towards the Philippian church. They had, all that they had done for him went into the Jesus account. It was a kingdom account. Paul says it's bearing fruit and it's, it's storing up treasure for you up in heaven. And, and Paul wanted that, them to know that. Now, what's true for them is, is also true for us. Norfew, we need to know this morning, whether you're here or online, nothing you do for the kingdom of God is in vain or goes to waste. Do you hear what I'm saying? Nothing you do for Jesus, nothing you go out of your way for to help someone else, nothing you do and nobody sees it, none of that is in vain or goes to waste. Nothing you do for Jesus gets forgotten or lost. He's a pretty good accountant. He can track it. And that's why Paul says in the book of Galatians, not to grow weary of doing good, for in due season we'll reap if we don't give up. And Paul was encouraging the Philippian church the same way. Keep going. Don't give up. You helped me from the beginning. Hang in there. Keep doing it. It's going to bear eternal fruit. Paul's saying, look, look what those gifts meant to me. Look at how appreciative I am. He says, they mean more to the Lord Jesus than they did to me. You know, a cup of cold water is a big deal in the kingdom of God. But a lifetime of service is a precious treasure. It's the day in, day out little things that really matter. Church, I would just like to encourage us, keep your heart warm. Keep your heart big when it comes to being generous for Jesus. And that's, first, that's as true as today, uh, especially in these times, as it was for the Philippian church. Don't let the world squinch you into getting hard and jaded and that kind of stuff. Keep your heart big. Keep serving. Keep giving. It's all going into the Jesus account. Paul continues in 4.18. I've received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent, a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. Paul says it's ample, means it's more than he needed. It's bigger, better, right? Like, wow, you ever gotten one of those? Like, how, you, you didn't need to do that. 
And I often tell people, often they'll say that to me, uh, you didn't need to do that. And I'll say, well, if I had to, I wouldn't have. Right? Of course I didn't need to. But I'm doing it for Jesus, so it's okay. Oh, well, all right. Then I'll accept it. Great. This just means it's generous and beyond what was needed. Our, pen, our friend Epaphroditus is the messenger. And remember, he almost in, died in the process of trying to get the gift of Paul, so there's a price tag attached to that. But Paul here calls it, the more important part, a fragrant offering. Uh, to understand a fragrant offering, you need to go back uh, into the Old Testament. A fragrant offering... Uh, was the highest praise that God gave in the Old Testament for sacrifices that were offered to him with a right heart. And you will find um, the sacrifices of the Old Testament always had a special incense that was used with them. So in other words, you'll read about this primarily in the book of Leviticus or Numbers, but with all the different offerings, there was an incense that was given with the sacrifices that created this smell that was said it's a fragrant offering to God. The requirements of the offering of incense were these. All right, if you, if you go into Leviticus and Numbers, you can read it, you go through it and find it. But it was to be made of the finest ingredients. Number two, it was to be in specific proportions. So the mix was exact of how God wanted this incense to smell. And then number three, Nobody else could copy it. It could only be used for the tabernacle and the altar. It couldn't be used for anything else. And God was very specific about that, and they weren't to use it anywhere else. And so uh, this incense pre-shadowed the coming of the Lord Jesus. In the book of Ephesians, if you look at Paul calls Jesus the fragrant offering or the incense look at this verse in uh, ephesians 5 1 and 2 therefore be imitators of god as beloved children and walk in love isn't that what we've just heard in the book of philippians right walk in love as christ loved us and gave himself up for us a what a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to god jesus is the incense of all the things that we do. In other words, he takes our little works and the things we offer, and he adds his incense to it, which is himself. And that's how it becomes acceptable to God. The principle behind this is that the Israelites were to give their best because God was going to give his best. The principle is reinforced to us this way, because God has given us his best in the Lord Jesus, so we are to give him our best in our offerings or service. And this is why when it comes to tithes and offerings, they are to be the first or the best that we offer of God, the first. And so when we give our gifts and they are the first and they are the best, then God calls them a fragrant offering. And we've always said here that it's not a matter of how much each gives, right? We've said many times that if all of us gave what Jesus asked us to give, we'd have more than enough. That doesn't mean equal amounts, it means equal sacrifice. And when you give that sacrifice, Jesus adds himself to it and becomes a fragrant offering to the Lord. Whether that's five cents or five bucks or 500 bucks or 5,000 bucks. God's not interested in the amount, he's interested in the heart. Right? And as we've done that, we have flourished as a church family, as a church body. 
And, and I just want to, um, it, it just reflects gifts that puts God first. And that is really pleasing to God. In Northfield, I just want to commend you. I, as a body and a family of believers, you have consistently given this way since the beginning of this church. And it has been the hallmark of us as a church. You have given graciously. You have given sacrificially. And when I read this, I can relate to how Paul felt about the Philippians because I feel that way about you. Just an incredible group of people. What a privilege to serve together. It's an amazing deal. Let's go on. The next verses are some of the most famous verses in the Bible. Right? Verses 19 and 20. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To, God, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul's saying this. Thank you. There's no way I can repay you for what you've done to me. But I know somebody who can. I know someone who can repay you. And that's the Father. Because you've given to me, God will give back to you. And he will supply all your needs. We could go into a whole long discussion about the difference between needs and wants. We're not gonna. I figure you and the Holy Spirit can figure that out, all right? But this is said, it's done according to the riches and the glory that are in Christ Jesus. Now, right now, as we sit here this morning, we can imagine some of that, but we really don't have a grasp of that. Because we kind of tend to shrink God down to us, and think, well, I have a budget. God must have a budget. I'm probably not in his budget, so I'll have to wait till next week. That, that's not what Paul's saying here. God's saying he will supply all our needs. And notice that it says, to God and, to our God and Father. Paul underlines the Father heart of God uh, in such significant ways. It's always an emphasis that he uses. It's an anchor point in the epistles. Just read through how many times Paul emphasizes the Father or the Father heart of God, uh, that kind of thing. You'll be shocked how many times it shows up. Uh, it's used in the rest of the New Testament as well. And here is where the personal connection comes in, right? We're just not about God this morning. We're about Father God this morning. A dad who's found us, who's reached out. Most of us don't deserve to have been reached out by our dad. Those of you sitting there know who you are, right? I'm one of them. But here's where the connection comes. The idea of God can be very abstract. Have you ever talked or had a conversation with some friends and said, hey, do you believe in God? Ah, oh, yeah, yeah, and you're talking. Oh, yeah, I do. And then you don't have to get very far in and you realize what you're thinking about God and what they're thinking about God goes like this, right? God can be this really... A massive spectrum of ideas. But the idea of father is crystal clear. Even if you've had a bad dad, you know what a good dad should be. What should a good dad be? The opposite of your bad dad, right? That would be a good father. And the Bible's saying that that's who God is. He's the good father. Like I said, do you believe in God? can have many different meanings. God is my father speaks of intimacy and relationship. Look again, let's, let's go over this. This is important, okay? Especially during times of pressure. Let's just do a quick brief survey through the New Testament. Jesus talked about 
God is Father? He said what? Our Father, right? One of the most famous statements and prayers in all of the New Testament. Our Father, who art in heaven. That's how we address him, Dad. John the Baptist said, For the Father loves the Son, and he has given all things into his hand. Romans 8.15, very, very famous place. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons to whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Abba is Daddy, right? Do you ever start your prayers with Dad? Even maybe more a little vulnerable, hey, Daddy, Daddy. That, right, that's how a little kid comes to dad. Daddy, right? Colossians 3.17, And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. In other words, remember that God is your Father. James, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. Why is that night? That means he's not crooked. That means he's not dark. That means he's not evil. He's not like Thanos on the Avengers, all right? He's not, he's not, he's not some warped superhero who's got a, a complex that he's trying to work through. God is the most balanced, whole, pure, right person in the universe. It says, it describes him, James trying to describe him as the father of lights. Light drives out darkness. James says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights in whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. NIV would say shifting shadows. In other words, it doesn't flicker. It stays consistent. Right? Isn't that a great picture? Look at 1 Peter chapter 1, 17-19. And if you call on him as Father, in other words, if you have that relationship, and you realize you're talking to God who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear through your time of your exile. That means while you're walking on this planet, operate in the fear of God because you know who you're dealing with. Knowing that you were ransomed from your feudal ways, inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. So not only is the Father the Father of lights, but Jesus is also the pure sacrifice. There's no blemish or spot within him, within his character. And then 1 John, right? You can't go without using 1 John in this. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. When we have a relationship with God, one of the telltale things that should emerge is joy. All right, we're going to talk about this. We're going into a series next week, just a short one before we head to Palm Sunday, Good Friday, and Easter. Yes, it's rolling up really quick, but uh, we're going to do a series called Lose the Baggage. All right, and we're going to talk about the barnacles and the things that attach to us and kind of drag us down in the Christian life. And here, uh, John is writing and saying, we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. One of the things, if we know God, if we know the Lord Jesus, if we have the Holy Spirit, we should have joy. It should be a natural byproduct of a relationship. Think about when you hang out with a really good friend. 
Is it hard to have joy? No, even when you think about it, right? Think about the vacations you've gone on with good friends. Think about the times you spent hanging out together. Think about when you're in the town center, you went and got a cup of coffee or hot chocolate or something, and, or you just sat down. Don't you get excited about that? Oh, I get to hang out today. You know, often in the office, going, out for lunch. We're going to go try fix each other. It's great. <laughs> but it's just joyful. It's, it's like, I can't wait to do that. That's the idea of hanging out with God is I can't wait to do that. John uses the word here, fellowship. Fellowship, it, it, that, just, it's that, that idea just reinforces this relationship with God through Jesus. Okay? Fellowship. Uh, John 15 would say abide. Okay? If you abide in me and I abide in you, it's that kind of language. It means we're in relationship together. We're to look to him as father. And a great relationship with your dad brings great joy. Okay? Now, some of us didn't have that with our dads. I know that. Okay? And some of us, our dads sinned against us. I know that too. But what it's saying here is that God, the Father, is different than that. And if you let him, he'll heal that. He'll wash and scrub that up. And he will make it so that it brings and gives joy. Some of you would be old enough to remember. Do you remember the show, Father Knows Best? How many remember that show, right? Hey, look at that. People over 40, awesome. You know, what's the irony of that is what? They would never name a show that, like that today, right? Matter of fact, most TV shows, what do they do? They mock fatherhood. They make the fathers the idiots on the show or the, the dumbbells or the, right, the jerks and, and everybody else but there was actually a show at one time said Father Knows Best, and it was about the importance of father and the role modeling of fathers. And it was a great show. I remember watching it as a kid. The whole sense of seeking God. Now, think through your lives. I know we got stories. But the whole sense of seeking God is because he is a good father. Amen? Amen. He's a good father. Hebrews 11 points this out. You don't go after him if he's not good. Look at Hebrews 11.6. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. That means you've got to believe a relationship's possible or you wouldn't even try. You've got to have faith that if he said come, that you can do it. Without faith, it's impossible to please him for whoever would draw near to God, your father, must believe that he exists. That's kind of important. But what's the second part? that he rewards those who seek him. That's why a daily quiet time. That's why you spend time with him. That's why you pray, because he's a rewarder of those who seek him. And Paul's reinforcing this for the Philippian church. What he's saying, uh, that's so important to them, and it's, it, it's so important to us. Here's what he's saying. Your Father in heaven will take care of you. And I think that's significant in this era that we're in right now. Have you read about the snowstorms in Texas? And, you know, Texas is not made for snow, right? Their homes aren't insulated. Pipes have broken. Grocery stores are empty. Uh, It's like, wow, we live in perilous times. And this is the time you've got to anchor down and say, God will take care of us. He's going to be there. And he's going to be there for us. He will supply all our needs, all your needs, 
according to the riches that are in Christ. Is there any limit to what Jesus can do? Is there any limit to where he can be? Is there any limit to who he can know? Then we, church, have to depend on that. It can't just be words. That's got to be an anchor for us. God had them covered. He's got us covered. This is to his glory. Because why? Because he's a good father. And that's why we seek him. Paul closes out the epistle by sending greetings to everyone. We're going to just skip through those two, three sentences. But his last statement in Philippians is both an exhortation and a prayer. And it says this, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. In other words, the grace that is in Jesus, may that be with your spirit. So let's leave this morning with this idea in mind. May God's grace reinforce and anchor you, regardless of what comes down the pike here in our history, in our culture. May God's grace reinforce and anchor you. May it lead you. May God's grace comfort you. He is the God of all comfort. May God's grace guide you, and may his grace protect you. We'll end this whole series with Philippians 4, 7. And may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, Guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, this has been a wonderful, wonderful series. We've gotten all kinds of significant touch points where you talk to people. We've had all kinds of um, principles that have stood out, things that we got course corrected on that have been helpful. And Lord, we seek you this morning We don't know where things will go. We don't know things will get better or worse, but Philippians says it doesn't matter because we can do it all through you, whether it's good or bad. And Lord, we seek you for that. We ask that you would help us rely on you, approach you as Father, trust you with what you've done through your Son, and and lean on the leading of your Holy Spirit as we go through life, no matter what it brings, Lord. We ask for this. And seek this in your name. Amen.